0: continue on with the second of our three-segment series with Atagami County in Wisconsin to review the last five years of their work to install and implement family finding. In this episode, we dive into the importance of front-loading the family finding intervention to prevent isolation and loneliness of young people from the very beginning. The discussion also references the critical importance of how families are engaged so that they can be involved in the matters that impact them. Finally, the conversation addresses the training and support Adegemi has created in order to cultivate the values necessary to support family finding. Let's start with Division Manager Melissa Blom identifying the importance of front-loading family finding so as to avoid children languishing in foster care.
1: I, I think that's the a challenge going forward is moving upstream mm-hmm. how do we not get to that mm-hmm. situation right like how do we prevent 13 placements in 13 right. years right. that is a trauma on a trauma on a trauma yeah. mean, and so if we could do more on that i agree if we can do more on the front end to align family but it's it's going to take a lot of work you have to the engagement piece is such a critical piece you can take one sentence, one, one look at a family member who thinks you're judging them,
0: Yeah,
1: they're gone. Yeah. They're done. Yeah. They don't want to be shamed. They don't want to be vulnerable with us. Yeah. I like to believe that every social worker, every staff member on our floor works here because they enjoy this work mm-hmm. and that it's meaningful work, and that would be a place where I'd want them to be, is that they're not pushing numbers or pushing buttons in Wissackawas that they're actually doing meaningful work that connects children and uh, prevents that negative trajectory.
2: Um, I wanted to kind of add to that because I'm looking at one of your talking points where you have <coughs> about some sites that have been front-loading family fine pl- prior to placement decisions and some barriers that we've had about that. And I think some things that Laura was starting to get at and where Melissa was going with the in-home safety services grant that we're looking at getting I, one piece is statute Mm -hmm. allows us to only reach out to family members without parental permission after a child is placed. So trying to do some of that prevention work, and we sometimes have kids in protective plans Mm -hmm. that is not court-ordered yet, and we're trying to do that work to prevent a placement. Mm -hmm. So there's challenges around Mm -hmm. making that work. Um, So that needs to be, you know, we can focus on engagement, getting the family to agree to it, but sometimes you have parents saying, no, 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 no. And you can't do that full reaching out until there's actually a placement. I also think where Laura was getting at is about the t- making decisions, and some workers are really quick about making decisions, and others, it, it takes a little bit longer. My experience has been, since we've been doing this, is things move a lot faster in intake when they're going through their investigation, they're sorting things out, they're trying to find placements, they're more willing to, because if the child has just been placed, they're more willing to get them with their family right away, Mm -hmm. versus once they've kind of gotten settled in a foster home, Mm -hmm. and they're doing good, and we know the foster parents, and they're they're helpful with transportation, they get them here and there. Ongoing workers have other things that they're dealing with. This relative is a little needy, maybe has some questions. Is a little marginal, but this is this child's family, right. and this is what this child is used to, and this right. person will keep them connected. Right. Right. There's work to get that child to that family, yeah. and you're like, but they're doing so good. And yeah. so that yeah. balance they're, they're
1: stable. Yeah. Well, yes. there's risk. There's more risk, risk.
2: involved. Yeah. You
1: know, when you involve family, there's usually a pattern or similar right. issues, right. and, and so there's risk. It. Yeah. The other thing I don't want to forget about as we sit here and things are connecting for me is, you know, we run a very successful relative support group. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of our families that we find, we are referring to come to our relative support group. So is it three years now up and
2: running? On Tuesdays, I remember when you were talking about oh, that. Roughly, yeah, ago. because we just, I mean, <laughs> I think we're going into probably our third-ish year. Yeah. And kind of started in the middle with yeah. that relative support group. Our county really believed in that. Rosemary was supportive of that, <laughs> our, director. our director at the time. And so we worked at developing that. And then the state, two years ago, had a grant for agencies to continue relative support group work and continue to engage relatives to develop this because the state was seeing these placement trends just go up. Mm-hmm. And we need to place with relatives, and we need to find these resources, because we're not, the foster home, the rate of increasing is not measuring the same as yeah. where our kids are coming yeah. into care. We need to figure something out. And the state really recognized that, and so they um, have really put, I think, a lot of effort into working to help agencies engage relatives, and yeah. use relatives, and mm-hmm. um, get these support groups. And so we went after the grant last year, and now again this year, and we are gonna continue growing that group
0: so who Um, facilitates that
3: we have guest speakers come in most of the time Mm -hmm. and then a couple times a year we'll do like just a free conversation Mm -hmm. between relatives which is i think those are the best like Mm -hmm. those are the best for me to listen to Mm -hmm. because they're so supportive of each other Mm
0: -hmm. so did one of you uh, just make facilitate it and you bring in guest speakers and all that or do you have somebody that's dedicated the, you know, the money that you're getting from the grant. I'd like, like
2: to get, get to a point where we can have somebody dedicated to okay. doing yeah. that and so figuring just, that whoever. out because it's, it's, another, it's something else that we're doing on top of our yeah. regular yeah. Yeah, yeah, workload. Like I try yeah. to go every month, Ann's there every month. Our kinship care uh, workers, they're there every okay. month. And then trying to figure out child care because we also right. um, do That's child care right. for the relatives. Yeah. And they know, really so. like that time to chit-chat yeah, with absolutely. each other and the kids yeah. are off in the other room. And what's been really cool is these kids have developed relationships mm-hmm. with each other yeah. too
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. in this
2: group. But I, you know, as it grows, like I, we need to figure something out because it's it's a lot to maintain. It's yeah. really important, yeah. but it can be really stressful trying yeah. to figure out mostly the childcare piece right. and, and making sure that this as the group grows bigger and maintaining yeah. a location and things like that. Pick
0: of so. your own success, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> we feed
2: them. I don't know every right.
1: month. Yeah, yeah, Beth Reimer is our kinship coordinator, and she's. Is dedicated to this group, and she comes up with a new meal plan. So that's, I mean, mm-hmm, the, mm-hmm. you feed them, and they'll come and, yeah. <laughs> and they get do. child care. Yeah, we get child care, and yeah, they've done a really great so job true. of growing our growing our relative support group. And we, we now have someone from the extension coming to do like little
3: activities for yes. the children. Mm-hmm. We tried that last month. Wow, one. that's great. That seems. It worked last it? month. It kept oh, them oh, was it a last little time? more interested. No, two, 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 two weeks, two ago. weeks ago, and they made Christmas ornaments, and oh, it, was it was very nice. nice. And they said they were much. Better in that kind of like yeah. having something if, in front some of
0: them. Too, than, um, are we going to watch a video? Or yeah, we're structure, gonna, structure, we're play.
3: structure. They yeah. can't, they they can't sit for very long. Yeah. It's a group of children that has a really hard time sitting yeah. at all. So they really, um, hopefully, yeah. this will help. Yeah. And then we have two, are they foster, foster parents? Foster parents mm-hmm. that do help with the child care that are paid to do that. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we have to go back. Yes. <laughs>
0: There's just knowing smiles between people that (laughs) you can't see. (laughs) (laughs) Stories are just popping in people's brains. I think
4: from the outside looking in, the keys to their success have been just the passion from the get go, like we talked about early on with the core group of champions who just were. I mean, I haven't seen it in a lot of other counties where. There were probably six or seven workers from Youth Justice and Ongoing and Intake that just were lit up and so excited about the work. And I think that that passion has continued with the three workers that they have now, Mm -hmm. but it really comes from the top. Mm -hmm. I think in other counties, we maybe haven't seen quite the amount of buy-in from some of the supervisors and management And for sustainability purposes, I think it's really important that agencies have the support from the director and the manager and the supervisors. And like you guys said, you're talking about it all the time. It's not something that gets Mm -hmm. put off into the corner. Mm -hmm. It's a conversation Mm -hmm. that the workers are hearing all the time. Mm -hmm. And I think that has been one of their major keys to sustaining the efforts they're great about sharing their information with other counties Um, when people ask me questions i'm like oh why don't you call jennifer over at Allegheny county and jennifer's probably like stop handing out my (laughs) number but um they've been great um, to work with and other counties uh, look up to them Mm -hmm. we've got kind of a little consortium going now where you know they're willing to share their resources and ideas with others, and also I think you guys were really interested in hearing too what other counties are sure. are doing, and instead of always reinventing the wheel, right.
2: um, sharing that information. So, and I'm hoping maybe you have some point people across the country. Because like Christy was talking about, we are the county that has done this the longest, have pioneered this. So when we're getting together, other counties are starting to dabble in this, mm-hmm. but we have lots of questions. They sure. want to know what we're doing. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we're giving a lot you know, of information and they're just trying to still figure it out. So it would be great to connect with another agency mm-hmm. yeah. that has been doing this work for a while mm-hmm. so we can continue mm-hmm. to improve our program yeah. and hear other yeah, people's how understand. they've kind of gone yeah. up and down yeah. and where things have gone, what's worked, what's not worked, how do you track things, yeah. how do we do our data right. better, that kind of stuff. Yeah.
0: Where I want to go is that I'm trying to develop more of a connection between sites that that already have the basics down, but now they want the additional support. Like, mm-hmm. what's the graduate level course in this? What's right. the support mm-hmm. that we can do? What, what are we learning? You know, where where is somebody doing some cutting edge stuff? So... And there's things that are happening in different places. Ohio's doing some really different, interesting stuff, adapting the 30 days model from St. Louis into their public and private child welfare. They're averaging now. 30 days to family is a very contained process, and it has a worker that has a maximum of two cases at any particular time. But they only hold them for 30 days, yeah. so you're ultimately you're working with 24 over a period of a month of a year potentially. And they find, on average, 200 connections in 30 days. Wow! So that you know, it's just like this: is what they do. Yeah. And um, and they're having about a 75 percent uh, success rate with with kin or, or family.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Los Angeles County, uh, through the leadership of the previous presiding judge Michael Nash, mm-hmm. has done a lot of the work. And also, well, you you might have some of the kind of shared experience here, where Judge Nash retired did a couple other things and came back sort of in this position that was created for him to have some accountability and flexibility with other folks. And he knew the environment because he'd been there for 20, 25 years as a judge. And he basically went to different, Los Angeles is huge, right? And they have like 20 child welfare offices. Mm -hmm. Each of the offices is bigger than some states. You know what I mean? It's just, it's huge. He would sit down with the leadership and they would say they would identify and, and create this common goal about what they would do and it took, sometimes it took months to get there and then from there, practice changed. so in the six sites that they've started, they now have a 75 plus percent family placement rate
1: too, yeah. And I know Judge Nash. I'm sure you've yeah, seen yeah, him. Yeah, part of a dual status youth network, okay. national yeah. a resource center for dual status youth in um, Los Angeles is one of our jurisdictions, yeah. so I've gotten to know Barbara Dewey, uh-huh. and um, uh-huh. and so I've met Judge Nash, uh-huh. and so I really understood what they do there, and so it's inspiring.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So the past 18 months they've been working and trying to expand you know, offices and, you know, at first, you have the early adopters. There's one particular office that someone months they have 90% success rate, you know, in terms of family and stuff. And so I, I interviewed the director, and she said that what she did was she intervened in every decision that the intention was to place a child in out-of-home care. And she asked, and she looked at information, and, and then, the, then the supervisor started doing it, and she, you know, gradually started sharing the wealth. But at first she felt like it was her job to change the culture. And so she interfered with any decision it was going to place outside of the family. And she streamlined it when people were going to use family resources. And just made it and, and the court was involved, all the you know, the, the advocates were involved, the providers were involved, the foster parents understood what was going on. Like they you know, they had to grow push out. But but that's where they ended up that's how they ended up making changes. They recognized it was a culture change. Yeah. <laughs> it was, And it was about values, and it was also about what what do we think our job is? Because a lot of times people have seen the family finance stuff and other sort of changes as unfunded mandates. And what they, where they sometimes get stuck is, I have my job to do. I don't have time to do this, as opposed to it's my job to do this. Right. How, do I, how do I make it my job to do these things? Because you, you all said it in different ways. If I start engaging with a family member in a really positive way that gets me curious about who they are and what they are and and what the relationship is with that young person, I can draw them in and be much more effective in a short period of time than by just pushing on them to do what I want them to do. And so is it effective then for me to be doing it the old way? No. Actually, it's creating, it's taking more time. I have to stop that and start with the engagement, engaging in a different way. And that's like a fundamental thing that I have to change about my practice. Whoever I am, whether I'm in a dedicated role or I'm just doing quote-unquote investigation, right? It's, you know, if I start with, Tell me about the worst thing you've ever done in your life in complete detail. <laughs> and I expect somebody is going to share that with me. I mean, if I walked up to you at a party, I'd ask you that. You would not befriend me. Probably not. <laughs> probably, <laughs> probably not. Yeah. yeah. That's
5: our first phone call. It's click. Yeah. Like, right. Don't call me back. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That, that We're over. Serious. Right. And so in, instead of, you know, I want to get to know who you are, what's important to you. And ultimately, you may have been faced with this kind of stress 300 times. 280, 290, 299 of those times you were successful. This one didn't go well, right? I want to know what was successful for you. Let's talk about that. And then we can unpack the, you know, what, what, you know, what do we have to do and all that kind of stuff. Also, who else is important and who else is involved? Let's get them to the table. <coughs> Let's get us out of the role of making decisions for kids and families. Let's, get, let's take us out of that role. We can hold the role of being the person or the people that say, does that meet safety requirements established by the court? That's our job. Like we, that's our keys. That's our badge. We have to do that, and we should do that. But I was in a couple of places. I don't, I don't know if Francis or Christy may have seen me say this, but some folks were like saying, we're doing, using a lot of the appropriate word. The family member was appropriate or not appropriate. And I was like, you don't have the authorization to determine who's appropriate. It's not in the code. There's no place in the code that says appropriate, that says you have the power, authority, or responsibility to determine who's appropriate. Safe. That's what your responsibility is. Let the family decide who's appropriate. That's not your job. Your job is to figure out who's safe and to bring those people together and let the family figure it out. Because sometimes people say, well, they're not appropriate because they don't always show up. It's like we all have people in our families that don't always show up but we don't excommunicate them from our families, right? We just we, we, we measure and we protect and we do all those sort of things within our families to minimize the, the negatives. But we don't rule them out because the child gets disappointed, right? That's not what happens. So let's stop as a child welfare department being in the appropriate monitoring thing because actually we don't, again, have the power, authority, or responsibility to do it. But we do have a responsibility about who's safe, and safe really is another one around folks that say, "Well, they didn't pass a background check, so they can't come to a meeting." i was just like, "Wait, wait, 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 wait!" Well,
2: there's one thing no, to you have. you guys don't do get started on background checks.
0: <laughs> there's so, one thing to not be able to to have unsupervised contact. There's another thing about can they participate in a room, you know, because they have a drunk driving thing, or they did food stamp fraud ten years ago, or what? It, you know, it's just like stop it. I mean, are, do are people in our families, are they all clean
6: background checks?
0: No. I mean, we all have folks that have done stuff that, you know, that have stories.
6: <laughs> but. You are touching on so many things <laughs> that we struggle with okay. doing this role. <laughs> so. so I'll shut up and now you talk. Well, <laughs> well don't you, Laura,
1: I think I'm remi- we've reminded of a case where mm-hmm. you ended up doing a, a deep yes. sorrow dive on a grandfather yes. on a serious abuse case. Where two uh, little, it was a little girl got two severely burned, or one got severely burned. Yeah, and the grandfather was kind of ruled out right away mm-hmm. based on something that was potentially in his past. And Laura got to know him and befriended him and talked, with him <coughs> and actually got the police reports and actually talked to yeah. the investigator from whatever how many years ago and said Grandpa's good. Yeah. I mean, and she had to advocate strongly with the intake worker. No, grandpa's good. Yeah. I think well, this is a good move, yeah. and that gets to that. I think that whole dichotomy yeah. about appropriate versus safe. Mm-hmm. And you got to throw. I'm scared to death to do this. Mm-hmm. A, because what if something happens right. to the child under my right. supervision? And my, I made this recommendation. And B, it's you know, it's safe to keep them in foster care versus sending them in this risk at, where there's risk. So I think you know, as I sit and listen to you, I, I keep thinking about back in the train, way up, up river and upstream. So I don't, I struggle with. There's a lot of value in family, and you have to be trained. It doesn't always come naturally yeah. for social workers, yeah. and so you have to have a solid foundation of training, mm-hmm. and that has to start in your. Curriculum in college mm-hmm. and your child welfare emphasis. Sure. And so recently I've been as the job mark You know the jo- the market for hiring gets thinner and thinner I- I've been meeting with the university and saying Good. we need to do something about if I'm going to take interns on our floor they have to be child welfare interns uh, interns that students graduate level or BSW level that have a child welfare interest, have mm-hmm. an em- emphasis because you can get the Title IV E stipend mm-hmm. in Wisconsin.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, back in the day, we were tra- I was trained in my BSW and family systems theory, right. a ton of it. Right. And that foundation about family systems theory helped me be yeah. the social worker that I was. Cool. And I don't know that that happens. Well, no, I don't that know that that happens no. to the depth and level. Because that's what I was sitting here thinking, like, I, I feel like we need to bring a trainer in to really get at mm-hmm. the value of family yeah. and how it's less work in the end. Yeah, mm-hmm.
0: absolutely. If
1: you do this front-end work, right. some of the best foster parents I've worked with have been those that see their role as, I'm. I'm... Just here to temporarily care for their children, and my goal is to let them parent. Let their parents do the job of parenting. You just tell me what they can safely and
2: can't safely
1: do, Melissa, and let me loose. I'll go work with the with the mom and dad. But you have to give me some boundaries. What can I and can't I do? And when you lay your judgment at the door and you invite people in, paves the way for relationship and information sharing, and a trust and belief that you have good intention about my children. Yeah. But if you have someone who walks in and says, what did you use? Because your child right. is tremoring. Right. I got your child two days ago, and your child is tremoring. Right. What did you use? Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I worked my butt off to try to repair that relationship, never. Yeah. And I had to finally make yeah. recommendations to my boss and to the court to say, this isn't gonna ever work. Mm-hmm. And if I was that mom, I wouldn't trust your intentions with my child either. So it's that type of training where we lay our judgment at the door that we're such a crisis-driven, quick system that you have to be able to see through all of that. And, you know, maybe there are some, like Jennifer's asking, some jurisdiction, maybe Los Angeles is a great place to start because they are still a county-run state. We're not as a large metropolitan area, but... If they can start to address culture and what we're supposed to be doing as child protective workers, it would be a great place to start.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm hopeful. I'm very positive. Our governor gave an additional $25.5 mm-hmm. million in the state budget. Otagamee County is seeing about $800,000 of that, and with that, we've we're hiring a whole new unit, Good. so the goal is to reduce the supervisor to staff ratio to uh-huh. allow supervisors to have the kind of supervision that the reflective supervision that staff need, mm-hmm. and a reduced caseload mm-hmm. um, to to ten families. Can we get them to ten families? Mm-hmm. That would be that would be ideal. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, the, the associate commissioner Jerry Milner has been talking a lot of, in the last year year and a half, and. If you haven't seen some of his speeches, I invite you to, to, to watch them because they're, he's really clear and consistent about our job is not to... We have to stop recruiting people to take care of other people's children. We have to start recruiting people who are going to help other people raise their children. And, that, and from a, just the whole foster parent recruitment piece about what is it that work that we do and at the last national conference on child abuse and neglect, the NCAN conference that happens every other year. Part of the focus is, what are the organizations that are working to help families raise their children? And so there's one in Brooklyn that basically the the parent comes in to the foster home and pretty much raises the child from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. That's the job. So the foster parents are there. They provide the housing, the supportive environment, the coaching, the relationship, the support. But the parent is making breakfast, getting the kid off to school. Then while the kid's in school, they're doing whatever their plan is. They're working, they're doing whatever. They come back home, they work the homework, they help cook. And if foster parent helps, it's not, not like it's completely off, but they're they're coaching and supporting. If you think about, I don't know what your stats are, but nationally, 75% of all child abuse places are actually neglect. Yeah. And those are highly related to poverty. It's just like, the, you know, we have oftentimes this vision about people really harming children, and, you know, we've all seen people harm children in terms of, you know, reviewing the files and, and seeing the harm to children, so it's not like it doesn't happen, but three-quarters of our cases are neglect, and it's like, why, why is our model built on the the worst of abuse, which we have to deal with, but our model is has historically been, let's keep the family away because they've harmed the kid. And there's sometimes when, from a safety perspective, you really need some really tall walls, but most of the time that's not the case, but our system has been built that way, and so why, and so what do we have to do to unpack it?
1: Well, when you come back a year from now, one of the things that um, <laughs> I, I don't great. know the staff I don't know that all the staff are aware, I don't think I put out an announcement, but Pillars, who is our homeless resource center in the community, mm-hmm. they partnered with Safe Families, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if you're aware of Safe Families, mm-hmm. it's evidence, it's yeah, 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 on yeah, the I verge know, of being an evidence-based model, and <clears throat> they have requested a three-year, $300,000 grant from the Community Foundation of Fox Cities, okay. and were awarded last week that grant, and so Outing County will act as an advisory. We don't have any money in the game, but we'll be a part of the advisory planning over this next year to bring safe families to our community. Mm. And that concept really initially when I started learning more about it, I thought it was really just about preventing homelessness Mm. for families, but it's so much more. Mm. It's about building a community around a family so that if a parent or parents are in need, they're at risk of homelessness or they just need support, a host family brings them in, brings their children in, while the family is supported by the, if typically it's a congregation or a community, and everything that the family needs to get back on their feet is provided. So I see our alignment working really well with building that family, because that's what it's about is building informal connections, mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. those lifelong people that uh, mom and dad can rely on, what, whatever they need can be met, not formally from the child welfare system, but from their neighborhood, from their community. Um, and so that will unfold over the next year. Great. Yeah, so I'm very excited about that.
2: I don't know if you guys maybe wanted to touch on the training that you're going to be doing
6: for our foster parents. Talk mm-hmm. about that. Yeah, I'd
0: love to hear about that.
6: Yes, we are going to be training foster parents next week, just two hours, and really talking about the Family Find a Model, how it came about, kind of where we're at with things. Um, We're going to provide them with some activities they can do with youth when they first come in to really open up some conversation about who's important to them, who do they feel supported by, who loves them, not only to get the information, (laughs) um, which is useful, but also to really hopefully see a little bit more of where the child's at, you know, foster parents are amazing, of course, but sometimes I think they forget that they are a stranger to these kids. You're opening up your home and that's amazing. And not anyone can do that, but you're still a stranger. And this child is literally taken from mom and dad and put with strangers and has no idea what happened to grandma and grandpa or aunts and uncles. And are they still there? Do they still love me? Are they coming back and you know we're so guarded sometimes with that information because we're afraid of, of what the children might right. feel or right. go through but they need to know oh grandma is here still yeah. we're going to let you call grandma or we're gonna yeah. let you talk to grandma or just trying to really open up that this is coming <laughs> this yeah. is a big philosophy change and we're even going to have some foster parents speak at that. who oh, have had successful super ones, good idea. But also talk about the, the struggles because right. that's how, that's how we grow, of course, right. as an agency and as a team and as a program. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be really positive. I'm I'm hopeful. Um,
5: we're so. gonna, <laughs> yeah, you <can>. said <laughs> it, fantastic. We're gonna um, we're offering it, you know, two times next week, and then we're gonna mm-hmm. evaluate and continue to offer it ongoing. Because we have a large pool of foster parents who, I think, some of the newer foster parents are at the front end being educated about our philosophy on Family Find and mm-hmm. engaging extended relatives and family in planning for youth. But there are plenty of things that we need to sift through in that process, sure. and there are plenty of other ones out, other foster parents out there who haven't had any contact with our program or have been foster parents for 20 years, and we need a better understanding from them of where they're coming from and how to blend with our program and where our agency is going in the future. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a big area of focus, as well as working with the mental health team yeah. that serves the children that we're working with to um, educate them the intentions and goals of Family Find Work Mm -hmm. and find ways to collaborate better. Mm -hmm. I think there are some staff who are bought into this process and the values of it for youth, but there are some staff that really just pump the brakes and are so afraid and worried about starting this and how that's going to negatively impact a youth whether we do it now or we do it if the youth does it in 10 years from now yeah. it needs to be done right and so i guess our philosophy is can we do it now let's let's yeah. do it now and do it together <laughs> and yes, figure safe. this out yeah. in a safe yeah. way yeah. Yeah. um yeah. but that's my view and yeah. not everyone else's view so yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Have you trained the CASAs, too? Have you- we have, yes. Uh, Jennifer and I did a presentation for CASA in September.
4: Oh, okay.
5: And it's probably something that we'll continue to do ongoing, periodically. For their um, volunteers? Yes, for their mm-hmm. volunteers, um, because CASA is at the table as well mm-hmm. in supporting the youth and trying to figure out ways of their role supporting the work that we're doing. Yeah. They're meeting with the youth far more often than sometimes workers or um we get a chance to so they can really gather some valuable information. So yeah, that presentation went very well and is something that we'll continue to offer. There
6: was also a suggestion that came out of the focus group <clears throat> to eventually I, I think this is a goal for next year. Is to also meet with the tribe because we have mm. a tribe. Here, mm-hmm. And Thanks for bringing that around <laughs> with Brown County, and there was some question about what our role is versus their role, and yeah. really trying to bridge that gap. Yeah. So that's so that's kind of a goal I think for next year, as we're mm-hmm. in December now. But so yeah, just continuing to really educate those community partners, and I think, like Jennifer had said, I think a big piece too for my own personal thought is mm-hmm. to definitely start talking more with the da's office about how do we move children youth faster to relatives that's a big big concern that I have right now um, as I'm dealing with one right now where the children are extremely attached to the foster parent and mm-hmm. we want to transition to grandma and it, it's it, this should have been this should have been done yeah. way sooner we yeah. shouldn't be at this point right. so and I don't know how to fix that this is I'm kind of getting off on my own real <laughs> struggle right now and Something that I, I think we really need to focus on as an agency, of, we need to think better about moving kids quicker when we have appropriate relatives, mm-hmm. even yeah. if they live three hours away. I think that needs to be the forefront, because yeah. I think we're causing a lot more trauma to those youth yeah. when we're then transitioning them yeah. a year later, and they yeah. have this huge attachment. Yeah. So.
0: I mean, one of the things that I, I, I know that folks that are, are trying to incorporate this into their daily practice on an ongoing basis is... How do we more quickly get to sort of a, the way you all are, are looking at it from a blended perspective and decision-making meeting process? How do we make sure that, that those people are present at the table, if not at the time initial placement is made, very soon after? I mean, I would push for before placement is made. But how do we actually make sure that even if they're going to be living with a foster parent, that grandma is at the table sure. and then whoever else those people are that are important relative or not that they're constantly there and they're the ones that are doing the planning as opposed to just the, the it's the worker and the providers the worker the grandma and the provider or the worker dad grandma the, you know what I mean it's sometimes we've gotten into this real sort of isolated siloed approach where there's not really the expectation that the family decides with the caregiver being involved, as opposed to if we defer everything to a caregiver, or we or we're the department, and we make the decisions. And the more we get to this kind of co co-sharing, co-parenting model of it's the family's job to help raise, there may be a particular person right now that's in that temporary role. And maybe you know, I've seen places where grandma said it's better if you if you are raising but I want to be part of it. And then everyone's good, right? So I'm not saying that it's always going to be live with a family, but is family sanctioned? And how do we get it so that every decision we make is family sanctioned? And and they really have a voice. Like one of the things that's happening in some of the states, California is one of them, and there's, there's, you know been lawsuits that have driven some of these practices, is they have things that are called, for California, it's called child and family team. And you have to have a child and family team every 90 day meeting right and so I'm asking about that from a state perspective and what I'm finding is they're having child and family teams you know they're kind of meeting the mark in terms of when but they ask who's there it's like maybe a mom and a young person maybe a dad and a young person maybe a grandma and a young person and like 10 other professionals mm-hmm. and I was like that's not a child and family team That's a multidisciplinary team. That's the old model of practice. Now, you just call the child and family team. And so people want to say, it's a CFT, it's a CFT. It's like, no, say it's a child and family team. And then ask how many children and family are present in your meeting. And if it's not half, it's not a child and family team. Because that's what the actual intention of the legislation was. To say, we want young people and families, because the lawsuit was on that basis, we want young people and families to have a voice in what happens to them. And so we're going to create the structure where it's a child and family team, or the meeting gets scheduled at a time that people, they, it's either or not people are, either they're not invited, they're not invited at a time that they can do it at a place that they feel comfortable, or when they come to the meetings, they're talked about in third person and is very professionally run, yeah. as opposed to the family, helps in designing the agenda and um, and, and you know how, where it's going to be and all that sort of stuff. They have input into into how the meeting happens, and so. That's how we communicate to people. You don't matter, right? Mm-hmm. I can invite you all I want. But if you if your presence doesn't change what the meeting's about, are you going to keep coming? Are you going to go to meetings that you don't have any value into? And then, you know, it's just like you've got other things to do. Right. right. I mean, we all do. So,
4: Reminds me of one of the first family finds and engagement meetings we had when you guys were going through this. I helped the youth justice worker. And uh, she's like, this family, like you said, Multi-generational. She's like, I don't know if this is going to work, but we'll give it a try. Yep, that's all we can do. And it was so interesting and rewarding to see how she did a great job. She invited them to all make the child's favorite food. So grandma got up at 5 in the morning and made homemade apple dumplings mm. and brought it. And the child was just so... yeah happy that people knew what she actually liked so we engaged the child and the family members were all excited food always makes everybody happy and so over the course of the time the child uh, went home with dad had the support of maternal and paternal family members that were there And the most interesting and rewarding thing was not only did this child who was in an RCC get to go home to her dad, but the family who had worked with social services for many, many years saw that shift and was like, this is the first time you asked us, what are you going to do with your child? And I think that was the question we said to them was, she belongs to all of you, So what are you going to do for your child? And um, so I'm really curious to see, you know, going forward, how their family dynamic maybe changes through that. Because I think they finally were taking ownership instead of feeling like they were just kind of the puppet and we were going to pull all their
1: strings and tell them what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. You know, you speak about mattering. I just like one of my most successful coordinated service teams I ever did was starting off with the dad who the mom was gone and using and no one had ever considered the dad. And we had a meeting with a, a bunch of professionals and he just him And I'm like, I thought he was never gonna come. And he came and we were in a circle. This was at at the Oneida tribe, tribal offices. And I started off the meeting just asking, could everyone go around and introduce themselves and say one positive thing about what dad does or brings to to this meeting and to his children and his family. So we went around and we got to him and he, he started bawling. He started crying. He said, you know, I've been to lots of these meetings And no one has ever, ever told me what I've done well. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've always pointed out what I do a shitty job at. And just so everybody's aware, I know, you know, no one has ever said what I do and what Mm -hmm. I bring. And for that, I thank you. And so he stayed engaged, and the kids ended up, you know, six months later going home to him. Um, So mattering people, I I, I always think about if someone points the finger at me and starts judging me and... Mm -hmm. in my own relationships I'm like okay well you have to start the with i yeah yeah, yeah. yeah right. let's use i statements okay. yeah, yeah. because we get defensive yeah. we get Absolutely. we get angry we get upset when people point out our flaws yeah. Yeah. we don't want to be told about our flaws right. Or, right. or what we did wrong we want right. to focus on our strengths right. so, i really so I appreciate that
0: Concludes our second segment as Division Manager Melissa Blom exits to attend a meeting. I hope you found a number of provocative points and ideas to further explore with your teams at your own site. Coming up in our third and final segment with Allegheny County, the remaining staff share more success stories, further discuss the importance of alignment, and identify some of the necessary system changes to sustain the practice.